If You Don't Want My Opinion, Episode 9, Ah, The Holidays, by Carl Marking. Congratulations. You made it through Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, and depending on your religion or culture, you may have made it through a number of other celebrations as well. Now, many of us are staring down the barrel of Christmas and New Year's Eve gatherings. I heard a term recently, situationship. It's when you're not quite in a relationship, but it's more than just a hookup. There may be some ill-defined loyalty to the other person, but no actual clear commitment. That sums up my connection to family holidays in general, but specifically Christmas. I love the pretty decorations and the music, but we've been through some shit together over the years, and it's left me cautiously optimistic at best. I thought I'd put together a list of my biggest pet peeves in a way that is hopefully helpful, though definitely snarky. I'm pretending it's loosely based on the 12 days of Christmas, but only because I'm including 12 tips. It's a stretch, I know. But I'm conscious of how often my stories have made people cry. No tears from this one. I promise. 12. Two martinis are too few, three are too many. Don't be the guest or relative who turns the great social lubricant, alcohol, into your own personal cesspool. It's not worth the literal or figurative cleanup later. I did this at a New Year's Eve party and lost not only my glasses, but also my dignity and a neighbor's friendship. It was an embarrassing lesson learned and not repeated since. At 31 years old, I should have known better. 11. If you're the guest who asks what they can bring, and the host says nothing, bring nothing. If they take you up on your offer, do not bring something that requires the use of their kitchen in any way to finish it unless you've cleared it with them first. Your offer should be rooted in helping to make your host's job easier. Showing up with something that needs to be prepared, without prior discussion or consent, that hijacks your host's counter space, equipment, and timeline is not helpful. Those of you who do this, you know who you are. Knock it off. 10. If you're going to bring a gift for party hosts, remember to put your name on it somewhere. As much as they love you, as much as they may enjoy your thoughtfulness, they are in the throes of kicking off the event and greeting guests and will not remember who handed them what at the end of the event. I've been given host gifts with no name or card countless times and have found it can lead to unintentionally hurt feelings. Didn't you like my gift? I've been asked. Which gift was yours, is the natural response. Even for something as simple as a bottle of wine or spirits, write your name on the label if you don't have a tag. Jim and my tradition is to write the person's name on the bottle, if we know it, so we can toast them when we open it. If we can't figure out who gave us what and thank the person, we feel like bad hosts, because more often than not, someone is going to have their feelings hurt for not having their gift acknowledged. 9. While we're on the topic of gift-giving, don't tell the person they're difficult to buy for. When you say that, you do two things. First, you try and put the blame for your inability to find an appropriate gift on the other person. Second, you're really telling the person you don't know them well enough or pay enough attention to their life to come up with something that they'd like. Christmas comes the same day every year, so you've had an entire year to figure it out, and in the age of social media, it's not difficult to see what someone's likes and interests are. In the end, it truly is the thought that counts. But for heaven's sakes, don't tell the person they're difficult to buy for.
8. Stop with the amaryllis, the poinsettias, and the Christmas cactuses. When you give someone a living thing, you're not giving them a gift. You're giving them the burden to care for it. It's less gift and more lifelong responsibility. 7. Accept the invitation as soon as you can if you're interested in going. The longer you wait, the more it comes off as though you're hedging your bets, hoping for a better invite. Similarly, notify your host if you can't make the gathering as soon as you know. They've got a party to plan. They need headcount ASAP. 6. If you're not feeling well the day of the event, call and give your regrets. I've had guests show up to a party hacking up a lung and wiping their noses endlessly and say, oh, it's just a cold. Post-COVID, everyone's first thought is, how do you know it's a cold? Did you take a COVID test? And their second thought is, I don't want your damn cold any more than I want your COVID. If you're unwell, stay home. You'll be missed, but your desire to attend does not weigh the health of everyone else at the party. I know, adulting is all hard. 5. Dress for the occasion. Most invitations will hint at or come right out and say what the dress code is. If they don't, ask. If you violate it, yes, you're being disrespectful. No, that ugly sweater is not ironic. It is, however, an insult to your host and their hard work and the spirit of the event. It's not all about you and your issues with finding something decent to wear when asked. If you can't manage it, send your regrets because you're also not going to make a good impression with all the other guests who took the time and effort to dress, as asked. 4. Mingle. How do you know the hosts? It's the perfect icebreaker. Your new best friend may be in the next room. Go meet them. 3. Be conscious of your smartphone time. If it's a free-range event where everyone is mingling, fine. Discreetly check your texts, check the score, whatever. But do not do that if you're attending a sit-down dinner. It's rude and disruptive. If you're worried about the sitter, if your ex is blowing up your phone, if there's a score you have to check on, excuse yourself from the table, apologize for stepping away, it's just polite, and rejoin the group. This goes for your smartwatch as well. Interrupting a group of people having lively discussions at the table to announce, it's the sitter, or it's my child, doesn't soften the blow. No one really cares why you've just interrupted everyone. So simply excuse yourself and handle your business like a pro. What's convenient for you, whipping out your phone or speaking into your wrist device, is rarely polite for those around you. 2. Respond. Don't react. This is for the functional people going to a dysfunctional family gathering. Remind yourself going in, it is exceedingly difficult to change long-standing patterns of behavior. At the end of the day, you only have control over yourself, your comments, your behavior, and whether or not you attend the event at all. If you know you're going into a situation where people may be pushing your buttons or dredging up old business to get a rise out of you, take a deep breath or a sip of water and try to respond, not react. If you deprive the person of the reaction they're expecting to get from you, by offering them a calm, thoughtful response, you will most likely piss them off and you will have taken the high road. It's a win-win, really. 1. You do not have to answer a question just because someone asked you. There are thousands of inappropriate questions to be asked of you. Practice variations of, I prefer not to say. This could look like, I prefer not to discuss money, religion, or politics. 
I prefer not to discuss my family planning goals. I prefer not to discuss my social life. I prefer not to say. You can also deflect with the likes of, that's great that you're so interested. Tell me all about, and turn the focus back to them. It's fascinating how long you can get away with that. In my experience, people with poor personal boundaries just love to talk about themselves. This also ties back to item two. Respond, don't react. If you get pushback for setting a boundary, simply repeat yourself. If that doesn't work, excuse yourself. You do not have to be a prisoner of your manners. I'll leave the dysfunctional family discussion with one final thought. While it is true others can't change, unless we give them the opportunity to do so, it is equally true of ourselves. We cannot change unless we give ourselves the chance and space to do so. Oh, if you want to have a little fun if someone accuses you of being woke because you're showing clear and thoughtful boundaries and being inclusive, point out that being woke is just living by the golden rule. I'm amazed at how many self-professed good Christians don't seem to know that any more than they know the golden rule is rooted in the Bible, Matthew 7:12 to be precise. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Till next year, happy holidays. Where's my scotch? <laughs>